Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward, part of the Missed Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This week, once again, we are joined by paddock legend Joe Sayward. How's it going, Joe? Well, I'm feeling legendary. You know how it is. Now we've got some questions from our patrons today and from Twitter. Are you ready, Joe, to answer the the baying public's desire for information? Absolutely. Well, let's fire straight on into it because you will have to go to bed soon. Presumably you're flying to Canada tomorrow. I am, yes. One of the glories of Canada is it's located on the other side of the time zone thing, whatever you call it, so you can leave late. And I can arrive, I leave on Thursday lunchtime and I get there on Thursday afternoon, which is brilliant. Oh, right. Yeah, it's like instant teleportation. Exactly. The only problem is when you come home, it takes twice as long. Ah, I see. But isn't that that one notoriously difficult to get away from uh, because everyone's rushing to the same thing? Well, I, I always end up on a Monday night flight, which means that I can have lunch in Montreal, which is quite pleasant. So, Well, it depends. I'm told the weather in Montreal is appalling at the moment. Um, really well that's good that's great news for months so by appalling we hopefully we mean intermittent rain i don't know if it's anything like where i am it's intermittent it's not even intermittent rain it's just permanent rain it's very depressing because we were in monaco last week which was permanent rain um and it's you know i haven't seen any sunshine for weeks well we've got a question from anders about what it's like uh, for life in canada for the montreal grand prix he says what does Joe think of the new facilities at the uh, the circuit Gilles Villeneuve? And does Liberty have the leverage to get the promoters to change the Canada date in coming years for better geographic scheduling? Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, this, isn't it? Because you've got to fly across there and then head back over this way. 
Well, there are two questions there. The first one is, I haven't seen the new thing, uh, but I'm told it's wonderful. Uh, that was Francois Dumontier, the promoter, who told me that, so it must be true. Um, I'll let you know when I've seen it, but I think they've done a good job from all accounts. As to whether or not they're going to move the date, they haven't got a hope in hell. Uh, Canada, at any date other than this weekend, will not work. Um, they tried it a million years ago in September when the wind whistles up the St. Lawrence and it gets very cold. Um, but uh, the Grand Prix is the start of summer for Canada, the whole of Canada. And um, so if you move it from there, it will kind of destroy the festival they've got. What they need to do is to uh, twin it with an American race. Um, and they're working on various ones, as we've discussed in the past. Um, and there seems to be lots of rumours at the moment about Chicago, but I don't think that's... Well, we'll see. Um, the first one's supposed to be Miami, as I think we've discussed on numerous occasions. Um, and we'll see what comes on. But nothing is gonna, nothing new is going to come next year anyway. Uh, well, we might have sparked some false hope with the chat room because they're rubbing their hands in hope. Uh, however, Meat Puppet in the chat room has looked up the weather report and it, apparently it's looking fine this weekend in the high 20s by Sunday. But Daniel P asks, he's got uh, general admission tickets for race day. What's Joe's recommendation for where to be and what to see? Do you think Joe Saywood mills about in general admission? Uh, but you might might do on the practices, Joe. Do you get around the track? No. No, I don't, sadly. Um, in fact, if I was if I was a paying spectator, I'd probably go down to the hairpin at the uh, at the opposite end of the track because that's where a lot of the action takes place. Uh, it really depends what you can see from the area um, you're allowed to go to. If you have a grandstand seat at the first corner, that's pretty good. I mean, there are, there are a zillion grandstand seats at the first corner. Um, there's basically two two chunks of crowd in Canada there's there's down by the first corner and down at the hairpin and that's about it really you don't really want anything on the straights or the wiggly bits in the background uh, the the glorious thing about Canada is also as as monsieur Dumontier explained to me i said you're going to have a, a sellout he says well we can have a sellout if we want it just depends how many seats we add uh, which is you know basically they always have a sellout because they sell as many seats as they need so they build grandstands um they don't have permanent grandstands oh they're um, built they every year more. oh right well, I think some of them probably are, are there, but only the basics. But they um, they build them every year and they fit the crowd to fit the number of people turning up. But it's always a great event. And and the other thing about Montreal is, of course, that twice as many people go to the city for the party as go to the race. And so not that I ever go partying, I have to admit, I never have time. But um, it's a hell of a big party and uh, everyone seems to have a good time. And uh when i'm sort of i'm having an audience one of my audiences on friday and i shall walk home after that and that's about all i get to see is that your phone or my phone i don't think i have any device that would make a sound like that i have not sorry about that it was actually my my telephone which never rings so i I would have said I, i think the penalty should have been you had to answer it and see if it was one of your celebrity f1 contacts it's in the rubbish bin. It's still making noise. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop it, to be honest. So. Did you think that putting it in the bin was going to help? <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, I do my best. Whatever. Volume off. Hang on a minute. We'll do that. Anyway, I'll put it in the bin again and see what happens. So, Joe, I think most people rate this in their top three F1 tracks, especially the current ones. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, there's overtaking. 
usually it's a good race often the weather can play a part and it's a great town so yeah it's 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 got a lot going for it and i must admit i always enjoy going there no matter if it's a bit cold sometimes but uh, this time of year normally it's pretty sunny and warm and exciting kind of town so but the, the schedule is such that we literally just arrive on the thursday leave on the monday and that's it just in and out crash bang wallop so when you do your audiences with joe in london you will consume somewhere between 12 and 17 bottles of wine during the course of the evening. How, how does that work in Montreal? Because surely you've got qualifying the next day. Is it a more subdued and, and, uh, and sensible event when you do audiences with Joe uh, at the tracks? I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, a couple of glasses of wine doesn't hurt anybody. So I do that in London. It's not, it's not, it's not four glass. It's not four bottles, anyway. I'll give you that much. But um, no, in Montreal, I drink a little bit and I give away. The more I drink, the more I give away. You know, it's more fun that way, isn't it? But generally speaking, in fact, every single time I've done it in Montreal, I've walked happily home afterwards, perusing the streets and um, you know, seeing what's going on. Um, and uh, I'm staying not too far from the old town. It's in the old town, which is a lovely area. I'm staying at a complete flea pit, which is the only thing one can afford in Montreal because everything is ludicrously overpriced. No, no, believe me. This is the most expensive hotels in the world um, because there are twice as many people as normal trying to get rooms in them, and we get we get absolutely ruined. Sorry, am I allowed to say wrong? Well, what the hell? I'm saying it anyway. I think um, if you had not have clarified and put doubt in the mind of a small child listening that it might be rude, then we would have got away with it. But now it will require an edit, which is fine. Okay, well, it's very expensive, and we are staying in a real flea pit of a hotel. We stayed there last year, and it was okay. The the, the bed bugs were kind of friendly, you know. So uh, we we don't spend much time there. We get up early in the morning, we go to the racetrack, we come back late at night, and that's it. So it doesn't really matter that much. It's surprising to me, I don't know why, that Canada would be expensive for a hotel. But if you go to somewhere like Rome, it's really surprising. Like in Italy, you can get a fantastic hotel for the price of a travel in here. Yeah, well, every Grand Prix weekend is overpriced. You have to you have to bear that in mind. Wherever we go, everything is hype is 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 uh, souped up enormously, and and the really bad one, Melbourne's shocking, um, but Montreal is very very bad. And they need to do something. I talked to uh, Monsieur Dumontier about this the other day, and just you've got to try and stop them. But how can you stop supply and demand? You know, mm. it's just the way of the world. Some people don't go to Canada because it's so expensive. Really, what uh, organisations such as yourself? No, no, no. I, I mean, uh, journalists who, uh, I guess, freelance journalists, and also nowadays, let's be honest, most media organisations look at budgets quite severely. So, if you've got a hotel bill for three days in Montreal and they want fifteen hundred quid for it, you know, your editor's going to go, uh, "Why not go to Rochdale for the football?" I see. And is this new facilities that Anders was asking about, was that to make it easier for people like you? Well, the new facilities are about 15 years overdue. I mean, it was, it's always been a, uh, with the nicest will in the world. And I do, I like Dumontier enormously. Um, but, you know, his facilities have always been a bit of a third world um, enterprise. And he knows it. And, it, and it, we had a joke about it the other day when I saw him in Monaco, I think it was, or perhaps Barcelona. And he said that he's managed to avoid doing it for the last 10 years. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> side, he's sidestepped and he's jinked left and he's gone right. And, you know, and he's, he's always managed to avoid having to do it, but they finally got undone it. And at the same time as doing it, 
they um, they put in a very long contract. So they are they actually have the longest Grand Prix contract going now. After Silverstone gave up their one. Now, if that's not a great segue, what more do you want? Well, I never I never know, Joe. I never know whether you're whether you're luring me into a trap or not. Hey, tell us, Joe, what what's this about Silverstone giving up its F1 Grand Prix contract? <laughs> well, uh, they're, they're, they're not giving up their F1 contract. They have cancelled the original contract for 2026, <clears throat> which they had a right to do. But they are negotiating another one. And as far as I'm concerned, they have a deal for another one already. They're not saying it. I think it's something to do with announcing it on the date they want to get... Um, they want to get all the sort of glory for announcing it on the Grand Prix day. But every source I've ever heard of who's credible um, says it's already a done deal. Um, Silverstone people say it's not. Well, one or two of them anyway. Ah, of course. because Se- you... Secretly off the record, one or two of them say, yes, it is. But that's another story. So. Ah, of course, because when you reported it, they accused you of fake news and then deleted the tweet. No, there was a junior employee, apparently, who got beaten around the head with a baseball bat having done that. Um, and because uh, it was it was a bit annoying to do that. Um, but it wasn't the main. You know, all the, actually, oddly enough, um, all the people involved in that story, we, we were all in Barcelona together and we had a rather splendid night of which seemed to involve a certain amount of wine. No. Um, and, and so we all ended up very happy. And very friendly, and there's there's really not a problem there. It's just that for some reason, and I think I know what the reason is, they just don't want to announce it until July. Fantastic. Good. Well, I was just making sure, right, I get accused of interrupting you, Joe, but what happens is you pause and I think you're done, and then I come in with a clever quip and you carry on, see? So that's why yeah, I was pausing. I'm going to have a glass of wine when you're quipping cleverly. Okay, okay. So let me quip cleverly uh, about the chat room. And you can join the chat room by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. And you can chat along and leave comments while we're talking, just like Ian Frost has done and has handily coincided a question with my first item I wanted to ask you about. When we look forward to the Canadian Grand Prix, what we really want is two, maybe three uh, teams in the mix. But Ian Frost asks, Joe, what's going on at Ferrari? They are rubbish. Tell us about Ferrari because they've thrown in the towel. Benotto is there in the media saying, don't expect anything from us. There's no improvements coming. This is where we're at right now. Well, if you were Ferrari, that's what you'd say. Because the last thing you need to do is build up expectation. What you want is for people to have no expectation, then surprise them with a successful result. In fact, any half-sensible Formula One team always underestimates what they're going to achieve. It's the only sensible way to do it. Because uh, otherwise, you just get shot down in flames. Note, uh, McLaren at Indianapolis. Too much blah, blah, and not enough oomph. So perhaps there have been some lessons learned um, on the blah, blah front, so we'll get less blah, blah, and more oomph. Um, and that's, you know, that's where Ferrari are. They're not uncompetitive. They're quick. Um, they're being beaten. They're, they're losing sometimes when they shouldn't be losing. Um, they are being beaten now, and it's quite alarming from their point of view, probably, to have, at least in Monaco, to have Red Bull Honda right there and effectively beating though of course on paper they didn't really get beaten because uh, Verstappen was, was listed as being fourth although he probably he did deserve a penalty for what he did uh, and it was a very very mild penalty to be fair you know five second for basically screwing but as his race was not 
was not a massive penalty. Um, but that did mean that, that Vettel and Bottas jumped him at the end. Of course, they were all queued up behind him too. So we'll have to see how, how that Honda package goes on faster tracks. Do you think Toto Wolff was secretly relieved that Verstappen did that to Bottas? Because six one-twos would kind of ruin his agenda of constantly making out like Mercedes are on the brink of losing everything. Like they're just holding on to victory. No, no, but you 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 have to take into account the fact that they are just holding on to victory most of the time. They they accelerated away a little bit in uh, Barcelona, but the first three races, first four races, it was very touch and go as to whether or not they were going to win them all. So it's not it's not play acting. It really was that close. And okay, in Barcelona they turned up, and I think everybody got a shock, including Ferrari. Um, when the Mercedes went as quick as it did. Monaco, they were always expecting to go well in Monaco, oddly, because their car is better at low-speed stuff. So we'll have to see who's ahead in uh, in Montreal. I honestly don't know. Um, and that's the glory of Formula One. You know, you can sit there and say, it's boring, it's this, it's that. But if you only look at the results, but if you actually watch the races and you understand the strategies going on, it's very, very close. So it seems like Ferrari are struggling in qualifying, which means they're on the back foot in just about every race. And a lot of that sort of is, is focused back on the tyres. So I remember last season, there was a, a few races where Pirelli rolled out this thinner tyre that they're kind of using today, uh, this season. And Mercedes ran very well in those races. So I remember at the beginning of the season, when Pirelli said they were using this thinner wall tyre, we kind of all thought it might advantage Mercedes. But it seems like it is Ferrari and Haas at the moment that just can't warm those tyres up and can't get them working during qualifying. Does Pirelli have anything to say on that? Because it, it, there's a perception that it's heavily weighted towards Mercedes at the moment. Well, I think the perception is wrong. Uh, what it's weighted to is, is a team that can organise their tyres best. Uh, and I think that if you look at what Haas achieved in Barcelona... You know, they got the they got the tires into the window. You get the tires into the window; they're working. It's fine. Mercedes have weekends when they're not in the window, but they still manage to win mainly because other people screw up. You know, so um, if you look at it in the overall scheme of things, Mercedes are just making fewer mistakes. Now they made a big mistake in Monaco, but unfortunately, in Monaco, it's one of the few places you can't actually overtake them. But Lewis Hamilton did not think he was going to make way. He was going to make it either at the end of the race where he's going to crash. That was, you know, he had no tires left. He had zero tires left and he held them up. It was an awesome, awesome drive. It really was spectacular. Um, and obviously that makes everyone look a bit closer. But, you know, they were not in the window um, for those particular tires. You know, they, they'd worn them out. Um, now, whether that's because they weren't working properly, I mean, these things are very, very delicate. And, you know, yes, you can criticise Pirelli and say, well, why are they so delicate? Let's just have tyres you can go racing on, which a lot of people say. And I kind of agree with that to, to some extent, but you don't. what you don't want is everyone working, everyone having the tyres working, because then you have a, a very dull, uh, basically a parade of cars going around because everyone's working fine, which means that you'll get back to the cars, um, which is the best car. So it, what, what Pirelli's tyre policy is doing is is disrupting the racing. 
and it is making Pirelli a talking point. And they are in Formula One to be talked about. They don't want to be in Formula One not to be talked about unless there's a failure, which is you know, the, the great Goodyear failure many, many years ago was that Goodyear was only ever mentioned when the tyres failed because they did such a good job. So, you know, Pirelli is doing a very clever job balancing everything to try to make sure they're in the papers. It feels like this season and last season, though, they are quite conservative with their tyre choices. I think possibly they might have been hurt by comments like chocolate tyres because it is pretty much a one-stop all the time now. And it seems like the days are gone in this multi-stop Pirelli multi-compound era where a driver can go, do you know what? I'm not making the process here. I'm going to, I'm going to bin these off. I'm going to stick some softer tires on and try and make up a pit stop gap. There doesn't seem to be that, that flexible flexibility and strategy. Do you think that's a conscious move because of the, the bad PR of the, the tires just falling apart? I think, you know, 2013 didn't help with the exploding tires and three or four pit stop uh, races can make the tyres look fragile. So I don't know if it was deliberately being conservative these last couple of seasons. A little bit, yeah. But at the same time, you know, no tyre company can afford to have their tyres exploding live on international, into global television, whatever you want to call it, um, because it, they look bad. So, you know, you have to find that it's a very delicate balance between being talked about and blowing up every time you go around a corner at Silverstone. Um, and, you know, the, 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 a good example of when things go wrong was Indianapolis 2005 when Michelin just got it wrong. And, I mean, it didn't have to end up how it is. That was a political game going on. Um, but basically they knew um, that they weren't going to be able to um, go around the corners without things going wrong. So they had to stop. All the teams had to stop because North America being North America, you know, you have um, laws of liability, which are just totally insane. And there you go. Erudite in the chat room, to be fair, is pointing out that Spain and China were legitimate two stoppers. However, you can't argue that before the races, if you look at what compounds have been selected, it's a conservative choice. However, Canada for sure is probably going to be a one-stopper because Canada is notoriously uh, not harsh on the tyres. So it is probably going to be a one-stopper unless we get some rain, which looks unlikely, or someone is good enough to stick it in a wall and pull a safety car out. Now, Joe, we're going to have to go to a bit of driver speculation because in the chat room I've had Kaylee and um, also we've had Edgevid Anderson on Twitter saying we need to address the Hulkenberg to Red Bull uh, rumours and the Vettel, uh, the Shady Acre retirement home for Vettel. Now, let's start with Vettel actually, because I heard loads of people and I even got a few messages saying, Joe says Vettel's on the verge of retirement, which is why I messaged you going, huh? What's the, did you say that, Joe? Did you say Vettel was going to retire? No, I didn't. What I did was I wrote in my uh, um, subscription newsletter that there were some wild rumours in Monaco that suggested that. Sebastian Vettel might retire. And I wrote they were wild rumours, and I'm not sure I believe them because he's driving very well at the moment. Now, somebody who reads my newsletter, um, they're not allowed, anyone who reads my newsletter is not allowed to copy it. I mean, they can tell their mates about it, I suppose. But somebody, I guess, sold the story to somebody else um, with a spin on it. Uh, which I don't like very much because, you know, it's a, it's an industry insider thing. 
it's not it's not for the media. I have a couple of ideas here, it might be, and, and if it happens again, they won't be receiving it anymore. Um because what? that's no no, but that's the, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose it, it wasn't me, actually, I can't afford it. So quite right, I know it wasn't you. <laughs> but you know, somehow or other this was turned into a, a story. Maybe it was done on social media, who knows? But it was turned into a story that I said that Vettel's going to retire, which is not what I said at all. So, you know, there were rumours about Vettel retiring. They kind of make sense if you want to look at it that way. But just to watch the guy driving, he doesn't look like a guy who's going to retire. Now, if, if Leclerc, you know, gets going again and beats him lots of times and he starts crashing again, then you can say, well, maybe he will. But, you know, I don't see that at the moment. He's doing okay. Yeah, see, I'm not going to fault the passion of the guy who's so on the limit he keeps spinning it in in battle. I'm going to question the passion of the guy who sets the record for finishing 25 consecutive races or whatever it was that that Chilton managed to pull out. There's no question that Vettel is on the limit when he's racing. That's part of the reason why you know he lost out in so many crucial battles. Uh, what was the recent one? Um, uh, where he spun wheel to wheel with Hamilton, you could see he was really trying to keep his foot in to give himself an opportunity to get that place back. So the, the passion's not a question. He's fighting very hard. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people get down and uh, beaten down. I think Sebastian went through a, a fair amount of um, that kind of, of downward spiral after the end of last year when, frankly, you know, it's fair to say he lost the world championship by making all those mistakes. So, um I don't know. Uh, the Hulkenberg to Red Bull one has completely got me. I haven't heard that one at all, so. Now, what that's linked to, though, is there can only be a rumour about Hulkenberg if Gasly is in trouble. Now, our pal uh, journalist Chris Stevens pointed out that Red Bull have actually been very supportive publicly about uh, Gasly, which is not their normal MO. They haven't they don't necessarily defend drivers that aren't doing well. Do you get a sense of the relationship between Pierre Gasly and Red Bull Racing? I think that Pierre Gasly is up against Max Verstappen. And Max Verstappen is special. So Pierre Gasly has to get his head around the fact that he's up against someone special. He knows it. He's, they've raced each other since they were they were the young boys, literally young boys. Um, and Pierre is, you know, Pierre has ups and downs. Uh, we saw it in Formula Two. He, you know, he had a few a, a run of very bad performances, and then suddenly it all clicked, and he was off, and bang, he was quick. So I don't think, you know, he's just, he's he's a new boy in the team. He's coming into a team that is Max Verstappen's team, effectively. And he's trying to make his mark. The, the other thing to bear in mind is that it's all very well Red Bull thinking about hiring other people. They haven't got anybody of their own. They had to hire out to get two drivers in Scuderia Toro Rosso this year. Now next year, um, if any of the Japanese, there's only one in fact, uh, Matsushita, uh, who might get a super license? You know they'll be pushing very hard to put him in there. Um, but right now, there's you know the idea of having Hulkenberg. Yeah, I mean if Hulkenberg was offered the drive, he'd probably want to leave, wouldn't he? But um, it wouldn't be that simple because um, Renault kind of need two really good drivers, and Hulkenberg is a really good driver. Now, the fact that he's never been on the podium is absolutely disgraceful, but it's not his fault. Now, he has the talent to do it. 
Um, and yeah, as we've seen all year, you know, he and Dan Ricciardo have been pretty closely matched, to be honest. In fact, if anything, Hulkenberg's been ahead. Excellent. You're listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. I'm going to be grilling Joe on the 2021 regulations, what's going on at Racing Point, and what hope there is for Mexico. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. So I've got a question from Twitter for you, Joe, from Ray Parker. My one serious question for Uncle Joe. You are, you are, you are like our F1 uncle here in the shed, Joe. And that's, I think, how you're seen. Uh, Ray Parker says, one serious question for Uncle Joe. With the first season now well underway for the new ownership of Racing Point, what are his insights into how the team is doing? Is there any strife caused by the changes and are good things expected soon? And is Papa Stroll staying in F1 for a while? Now, this was because we were discussing on Sunday's show, uh, when they were going to shift their focus from building new facilities to just pouring things into the car. Now, what I wondered was, had Lance Stroll been doing a little better this season, do you think there would have been more of a focus on the race team? But since he's clearly not up to speed at the moment, can they take a season out to build the facilities up, get the infrastructure sorted, and then make a push for 2020-2021? Okay, let's start from the top. Is Papa Stroll in to stay? Yes. You don't invest the money he's just spent in a motorhome and going to spend on a factory if you're going to leave. Uh, Whether that involves his son is another matter. Obviously, that is one of the elements involved but it's not the sole element because the racing team can go on without Lance driving for it um 
are they putting more effort? They're putting effort where, where things are needed to be done. And they need a proper factory and they need a, you know, they don't need a proper motorhome, but they need a proper factory. Um, uh, I think, has there been some stress and strain? Yes, there has. There's no question about that. Because um, I think there's a certain element within the team who are pushing to sort of say, you know, come on, Lance has got to get up to speed. Um, Esteban Ocon sitting there doing nothing. We could have him, you know. No, surely that's not that's not. Well, that that, that would be a very brave thing to say, <laughs> but it's a reality that is probably said behind the scenes. Um, but the fact is that uh, Lawrence pays the bills, and therefore the people who are the racers who are there know that, and it's not it's not intelligent necessarily, unless they have it somewhere else to go to. Um, to challenge the boss and say this ain't right but you know if in a perfect world you have the two best drivers available and Lance Stroll has got to do a lot to prove he is one of the best drivers available it's as simple as that his father knows that and they're trying everything they can to make sure that it gets better and so uh I mean, he is a talented guy. The, the fact is he's up against an awful lot of other talented guys who are perhaps some of them more talented than he is. But, you know, that is that is the, the nature of Formula One. So I don't see anything really changing apart from the fact that you know, getting the head down, building a new factory, working it up towards becoming a much more competitive team in uh, in – it's going to have to be 2021, new factory, that sort of stuff – also, new regulations because it gives them more chance. Now, uh, also because because there'll be a budget cap. So I often get bashed for bashing Stroll and a turnaround in results, and especially qualifying results would completely change that. I I want to see a, a team who is as popular and has proved themselves over the last few seasons having two cars getting into Q2 and Q3. So basically, you know, two Perez-like performances at the moment would make me happy. Let's get Stroll up there with uh, Perez in the same stage of qualifying. And all the criticism kind of stops because come the race, he generally does what he needs to do. However, for Perez fans, and and I'm sure there's, and there's millions of them, Joe, yeah, some, some even in this shed, is there a worry for Perez fans because the Strolls inherited him? They couldn't likely bin Perez after his role in saving the team. I'm sure he would put it that way. Uh, but when it comes to renewal time, isn't gonna isn't it gonna be tempting for the strolls to have someone not of Perez's standard up against Lance? Um, interesting argument. Uh, my understanding is that Perez signed a two year contract just before the team was taken down into uh, into administration. Um, which means that uh, they were pretty um, well-versed in what was going to happen. Um, and Perez is, is a decent pilot. Now, you know, the interesting question is, now let's just say that Sebastian Vettel retires. Sergio Perez will suddenly want to go off and race elsewhere, wouldn't he? Ooh, maybe Perez to Ferrari. That would be a good fit. No, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mean, there have been rumours for years about Perez to Ferrari. And in fact, he's a young Ferrari driver or was some time ago. But, you know, the fact is he has shown his loyalty up to a point, to racing point. And the question is, will he show his loyalty if 
Um, there are other drives available. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, no driver should be. Drivers are in it for themselves. We have to remember that. Although it's a team organization and they go banging on about team this and team that, they're fundamentally selfish human beings who go to the fastest car available, uh, which is entirely normal. You would expect it. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know. Um, Lance Stroll is very good, but not very good enough. And that, at the moment, is is his problem. He needs to be better than he is. Now, whether he can be better than he is is another question. But, you know, you can money will get you to Formula One up to a point, but you've got to have talent when you get there. Um, and that's the problem we're having. And it's a problem that, that I think you'll see with a number of others. You know, in the past, we've seen Honda promote people. We have Mazepin coming up. We have um, a number of other people who've arrived in Formula One with loads of cash, but not enough talent to make it top level. So we'll see. And at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is results. European in the chat room says, Spanish thinks there's another Perez fan somewhere. Quite romantic. Boo, European. That's a, well, that's a time. European should go to the Mexican Grand Prix. <laughs> Give you another segue. There you go. Joe. Are we going to the Mexico Grand Prix in the near future? Everyone seems to be saying it's under threat. But yeah. Well, who owns the promotional company? I know that, but why don't you tell the audience, Joe? Carlos Slim. He is, sorry, Carlos Slim Sr. Carlos Slim Sr. is one of the richest men in the world. If he wants there to be a Grand Prix, he will find someone else to pay for it. At the moment, there's a negotiating process going on in which Perez is clearly playing a role because he keeps saying it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Ah. Presumably means that they're asking too much money. But I think that the Formula One group's view is that the richest man in the world will make it happen. So if they want to have a Grand Prix, they'll have to pay for it. They know that, and it's a negotiation. But it's not going to go away. I mean, you know. Perez is there. Every time you go there, it's like, you know, he sort of walks around on water and, and you know, <laughs> turns wine into water. Or was it the other way around? I turn wine into water. No, it's the other way around. Um, <laughs> anyway, whatever. I don't see the Mexican Grand Prix going away. No. I, I sort of like the Mexican Grand Prix. Like, it could nearly be good. I love the idea of just driving through that stadium section. It's spectacular. But it just seems to... The stadium section actually seems to make sure the cars are just separate enough to not create action into turn one. So it's a frustrating track because it's almost fantastic. No, no, it is fantastic. Except, I mean, outside the circuit gates is not fantastic. It's okay. You don't get shot. It's all right. But, um, well, I'm sorry. It's it's a wild neighborhood. But, you know, it is it is what it is. We go there. We have a good race normally. Max Verstappen always wins. So, you know, I'm surprised there aren't more Dutch people turning up there, actually, to be honest. It's I mean, fun. you know, well, the, the airport will be full of orange this year, I'm sure. Actually, uh, well, well, we're on tracks. You know, you are definitely the man to ask about politics and tracks. Uh, we're going to be going to France in the not too distant future as well. And last season, it all got a bit emotional. There was, it was all about the car parking, wasn't it? A poor regard. <laughs> Is it worth going? Would you advise people to go this year? Uh, they, they've spent a huge amount of money to try to make sure it's going to be better. Um, it depends how you go. If you go as a camper you're fine. You don't get into traffic jams, for example. Uh, if you go 
try to stay on the coast and drive in every day. That's not such a smart thing to do, like us. <laughs> but, you know, because you're not going to get me in a tent for love and money. Um, I did enough. I did enough tents in my life. Joe, to, uh, you can hire a hog. I can see you in a Harley Davidson cut and, you know, no. just roaring down past all the traffic. No? No, because you'll still get snapped by the damn speed camera. So, um, Or the gendarme who says you can't go here because you've got the pass that's correct, but he just doesn't know it is. I won't tell you what I did last year, but I definitely broke the law. Um, Joe and, confesses in the shed. Well, yes, I did. I told the gendarme – well, I didn't tell him where to stick it. I told him where to stick it with my foot. Um, I just accelerated through his thing and said, said, you're wrong, sorry, goodbye. And then when I arrived in the in the paddock, feeling being a, a guilty Englishman, I confessed to the press office and said, if the police come looking for me, I was in the right. Will you kindly inform the people on that particular blockade that they have no idea what they're doing and will they please find someone who is at least competent? The trouble is they had a bunch of gendarmes who are well known for sort of clubbing old ladies and not necessarily doing crossword puzzles. Um, and you know that's that's really uh, the problem they have now. They need to educate the policeman, which is an interesting argument. Did you say to them, "Do you have any idea who I am? I'm Joe Blinken Sayward." <laughs> no, 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 that didn't. No. I'll tell you what. This is a this is a defence that uh, Sebastian Vettel and Roman Grosjean tried when they were stopped going in and told they couldn't go in, and. Grosjean, a fluent French speaker, of course, said, but we are the reason for this show. And the gendarmes said, no, because gendarmes only say no, and, and they only know how to club little old ladies, you know. So um, you love it, don't you? Miss um, Apex podcast has no opinion on the gendarmes <laughs> clubbing of old ladies or anyone well, else. I do. I have a very strong opinion on them. And they're basically ignorant people who shouldn't be doing traffic. So if you educate the people who are doing traffic, then you don't have a traffic problem. So education is fundamentally usually the cure of most things and, and educating the gendarmes so they recognize a past that is correct. Anyway, they turned away Vettel and Grosjean, which is, uh, in fact, Vettel and Grosjean did exactly the same as what I did, which is just drive straight past and say, you're idiots, I'm not listening to you. Must be Hamilton fans. But why didn't you just offer them a subscription to GP Plus magazine, which is your hand-typed-out magazine that you send individually to subscribers via Carrier Pigeon? Quite, yes. Well, I, I'm not sure that mouth breathers would understand uh, Grand Prix Plus. There's too many long words. However, should people wish to subscribe to Grand Prix Plus, Joe, what should they do? <laughs> they should go to www.grandprixplus.com, which is the most fabulous magazine. It's only got a few long words in it, not, not a lot. It's not highbrow. It's racing magazines like they used to be, except it's electronic, it's virtual, it's it's PDF even, if you know what that is. And PDF downloads into a computer, into a computer you have. Even your telephone, you can read it. So um, it's a fantastic magazine. People keep writing me going, how come we don't know about this magazine? How come it's so brilliant and we don't know who's ever told us? And it's my fault for not telling you, I suppose. I tell everyone all the time. I can't stop telling people. It's all I talk about. They said, shut up, it's tech time. Stop talking about Joe's magazine. Uh, I hope your photographers are behaving themselves these days, though, Joe. Why, what did they do wrong now? Oh, what, <laughs> you mean some other podcast who had strange views about life? Well, whatever, you know. Let's brush on past that. But And you can also find Joe's green notebook by searching for Joe Blogs F1, where Joe does like a travel log. 
of his trips away. It's not a travelogue, excuse sort me. Sort of. A, I only read tra- the first paragraph where you kind of go, I was sipping champagne on the Riviera <laughs> of the blah, blah, blah. But you miss all the news then, because that's where the scoops are. Ah, oh, I knew I should read more. Darn. Anyway, French Grand Prix. If you can't, if you can't afford the, the newsletter <laughs> where some of the scoops are, read the green notebook, or orange if I forget it, um, and uh, you will find that all kinds of exciting secrets are revealed. There we go. Joe, right stuff. The French Grand Prix, though, how, how do people perceive that event that return to Paul Ricard because the the things that struck me apart from car park gate was that I felt like the racing was kind of good like the drivers could attack and could make overtaking moves however the perception with all the runoff and the weird lines was a little bit different to to what people visualize in their head from a classic track just wondered what your your opinion was on the return to Paul Ricard or that's even not mine. what, even that's what not that person is. That's one of yours. I'm in a shed, Joe. There, are, there are no <laughs> communications in here. I'm literally in my garden shed. I don't mind if you answer it, but they just have to be on the podcast. I've no idea. <laughs> I've no. I don't have it. It's not ringing here. Anyway, whatever. Um, it is a. Um, stop now. Um, Paul Ricard is. Is it a classic track? Probably not. If you compare it to the Rouens and the and the Reims of of yesteryear. Um, it's a good track. It does always have, but you know, a few years ago, we no one could say a nice word about Silverstone because it was impossible to get into. You know, um, muddy. Well, it was always muddy. I mean, how many times? How many times have you been stuck in a traffic jam at Silverstone? I've done it as a journalist and as a spectator, and it wasn't fun. And now it's sorted out. It's not so bad. And. Paul Ricard has a fundamental problem. It's one road in, one road out. That's it. You don't you don't have a lot of choices. So um is it a classic track? Yeah, it's a pretty decent track. Um will it have good racing? Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, if they had the full Mistral straight going on, it'd probably be better. But for some reason, you know, Mr. Tilka likes chicanes. It's something to do with um it's something to do with TV money, I suppose. Ah, so when they slow down for a chicane, that's more advertising space. Fundamentally, most of Tilka's um, tracks have a lot of slow areas where you can read the name of the sponsors, yes, which is a fundamental flaw in circuit design. It's not what you should be doing. But the good news is that other people, other than Tilka, are now designing racing circuits. Oh, tell us more. Well, there's a little bit of work going on here and there by a company called Apex. Uh, which is a British company uh, who designed things like the Dubai Autodrome. And they've been doing some work in Formula One of late. And they seem to be, uh, I think they're involved in Miami. Um, But I'm not 100% sure because they're very discreet on these matters. Um, But it's no longer the monopoly of Tilka, thank goodness, um, that it used to be. I mean, you know, Tilka has, has some good corners and, good circuits to his name but he also has some very bad ones so um he shouldn't get he shouldn't get free reign over everything that's my view and he's not getting free reign which is good the other thing about circuit design is is that it's a science it's not an art you know there's a reason that there is overtaking and you have to be able to analyze it scientifically and conclude 
that you can therefore if you can conclude that the overtaking is possible you can recreate that as another circuit now the chat room is desperate to have this toyota question answered however i must i must get to joe whilst we're talking about tracks and and ask why why is africa so heavily figured uh, uh, so heavily featured in the f1 track rumors at the moment because no one else has got anything to write about oh i see Okay, well, uh, on to so, uh, Africa is 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 obvious place to go. If you are, I've been writing about going to South Africa for about a year and a half now, um, and uh, that's what I think will happen. Uh, maybe there's, you know, this Moroccan thing might be able to hurry up for South Africa, get it done, get it sorted. But fundamentally, Formula One just wants to be on every continent worth going racing on, and nobody actually, apart from a couple of penguins. I uh, think that the Antarctic is a good idea. Okay, good. I think we've answered that, but wasn't there a specific track rumour this week? Uh, it's, uh, it's I don't, you think I read all the rumours? I, I thought you, I thought I'd read it on your column. So <laughs> no, 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 I didn't write well, about what mm. about uh, there, yeah, there was some talk about Angola or something. That might be the one. The oil rich. It was an oil rich nation. That's what's. Yeah, they've got um, an oil rich nation with the new president who's arrested a whole bunch of old people from the old regime. Yeah, wait and see. Were they all bad guys though? So we don't have to feel bad about that. Or well, no, they weren't necessarily bad guys. They were in power for thirty years. So Angola has a racetrack. A Formula One, it's not standard Formula One standard racetrack, but it was designed by a Formula One racetrack designer who designed Esteril and Jacarapagua. Um, it's sitting there in Luanda, um, and there is a tradition of racing in Luanda as well on the streets of Luanda. Um, Luanda is not necessarily a destination city, but it is in Africa. So there you go, I see it happening. Uh, I don't see Marrakesh happening because it's a Formula E circuit, which is not not really suited to Formula One. Kyle Army is there ready to run. South Africa is, is the answer, I'm sure. Formula E circuits aren't really suited to Formula E, if, I, if I'm honest. Let's get them out on some yeah, proper tracks. Quite right, too. Um, sorry, you mentioned Toyota. Yes, so it, let, let, me get this, let me get this name right. Eog Han is awesome in our chat room. I, it's Eog Han. I bet that's like Ewan or something in Welsh. Uh, but it says the CEO of Toyota said he wouldn't rule out a 2021 entry as an engine supplier. Is it just rubbish or does it have some potential? Now, this obviously coming on the back of Porsche declaring to the world that they had a 2021 entry lined up, but decided not to do it. Well, we all knew Porsche had been trying and fiddling around with engines. It wasn't rocket science to figure that one out. The fact that they then cheated on all the emissions scandals and got themselves into deep, deep water and had to go to Formula E as a result is their own fault. Uh, unfortunately, they took the whole group with them, um, which is a number of brands which should be very good in Formula 1. Toyota, it kind of makes sense, but Toyota, if they're going to do it, they've got to learn from their previous mistakes, which is don't put anyone involved in car production in charge of Formula 1 because they're too slow. And they won't, it just won't happen. Um, they were lovely people who they sent, but none of them had the faintest idea what they were doing. So they spent a billion dollars achieving absolutely nothing. Now, if they're going to do it, fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's kind of logical they have to do it if you look at the world markets these days. But do it right. Listen to people who've got a clue. Don't do it your own way because the Toyota way always works. Toyota Way doesn't always work, as you proved the last time in Formula One. 
because they have this uh well i can't remember the i probably can if i think very hard about it but they have this uh philosophy of constant improvement uh the only thing is that formula one also has constant improvement and they're faster than the toyota way so um just if you're going to do it get it right I don't think anyone's going to come in with new engines now. I think we're done. I think they've just. I I absolutely agree with that. I think we are done. But now is as good a time as any because the engines are beginning to close up. Therefore, the technology is available. You can hire the right people, you can build the right machinery. And that is the secret of how you get lots of manufacturers in, which is you basically keep the rules the same. It is not rocket science. You keep the rules the same. You, it, things close up and other people come in because it's there's an opportunity there. If they change the rules, Mercedes will accelerate ahead, Ferrari, whoever is the one who accelerates fastest, they will win the game. But keeping the rules the same means better racing. Well, are the rules staying the same, Joe? We, we're expecting something this month telling us what 2021 is going to be like regulation-wise. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath too much. The engine regulations will be basically the same, nothing that will make a huge difference. I'm sure engine manufacturers will tell you they have to build new engines, uh, but it's fundamentally the same. Chassis regulations, we won't know until probably the end of the year, and that's deliberate. They have a pretty good idea what they're going to do, but it's fairly deliberate um, because you don't want the people with money having more research time. Okay, well, I've got a specific question here from Michael Distelhoff, and uh, he says is is basically asking how much influence the top teams have on the the new rule set. In particular, if Liberty would be able to truly negotiate a rule set that would be fair to all participants and some of these potential new players we're talking about, or do Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari just have too much of a of a voice in the room? No, I don't think they have. I mean, basically, if you're Liberty Media looking to make as much money as possible, how do you do that? The answer is make it as much uh, entertainment as possible because that's what they're in it for. Therefore, do you give somebody an advantage? No, you don't. Now, Ferrari is a bit of a special case because they are a small manufacturer, small-ish, taking on big manufacturers, and their argument was always that we have to be, you know, we have to be protected because we're Ferrari and we're special. And they are special. You know, let's be honest here. They are the longest. In fact, that's what the rules state, the longest standing team. And that's it's not Ferrari who get all the extra money. It's the longest standing team get all the money. So if Ferrari is one day no longer the longest standing team, somebody else in theory will get it. So who's the second longest standing team? McLaren, I think. Oh, Oh, good. Which, which, of course, would be right now um, daft, but there you are. Then the third longest standing team would be Williams, I suppose. So. Fantastic. Joe, I've got one more question for you. And I, w- I do want to say thank you very much to the people who've provided questions on Twitter and in our Patreon Slack group as well. I just want to say make sure you follow Joe on Twitter by searching for Joe Saywood and read his stuff by searching Joe Blogs F1, which is a very clever pun. You can follow me at Spanners Ready and also the show at Missed Apex F1. You can even support us, if you like, by going to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And you can catch some of our extra content. We do Fascinating F1 Facts, which is from Joe's book, Fascinating Facts, read by me uh, and released in little bite-sized chunks. So search for F1 
fascinating facts on your podcatcher. We also cover the W series, which is hotting up. Look for Missed Apex W on your podcast player. And we cover Formula E on our show e-radio show we're busy boys we're even doing apex tv we've reviewed the teaser trailer for picard now then one more question for you joe from steven fayor on twitter how much of cyril's bs is it that they will have a french grand prix massive upgrade and will the new merc engine be a big difference so we're getting to that time where i think every team Apart from every engine, apart from Mercedes, has already had an upgrade, hasn't it? So Mercedes being the last team to switch to their second unit, first of all, that bodes even more frighteningly for the end of the season because they're going to be the team avoiding penalties when everyone else is picking up, you know, fourth power unit elements. Well, I think we'll see, won't we? I mean, there's a lot of talk about the Renault being good. It should be good. Um, they have good people. They're getting better people. They're building it up. Cyril is a is a good operator. He, I mean, he's 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 not the most popular team principal, is he though, Joe? Well, I don't care. He, he's he's a decent he's a decent player. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he, he was terrible. He was terrible when he was at Caterham. I absolutely agree with that. But he's not terrible anymore. Uh, he's gradually putting together a, a bunch of people to make that team work at the same time he's trying to do it with a lot less money than everybody else so you know give the guy some a bit more space i accept he was useless before but and he accepts he was useless before to be honest um but you know don't underestimate him it's a bit like people underestimate gunter steiner you know um or, or otmar you know these are all they're all good people there are some team principals who don't need to be underestimated because they overestimate themselves but um you know these are good guys and they know what they're doing and and one of the great things about formula one is that the more mistakes you make the more you learn so ron den as i as i think i've said before ron dennis mp4 is the name or was the name of the chassis that means mclaren project four the four other three other projects failed before ron got to formula one williams was a total disaster for 10 years they learned from their mistakes. Red Bull grew out of Stewart, grew out of Jaguar Racing, and went through a number of years of rubbish. Mercedes-Benz was, goodness me, going back a long way. But the fact is that after Mercedes bought it in 2009, 2010, 11, 12, 13, were all pretty average. There was nothing. You know, you've got to learn how to do it. So... You can't just arrive, and this is the thing that people often make mistakes. They arrive saying, we can do this because we're supersonic, fantastic people. And next thing you know, oops, it's not that easy, is it? And that's the key to Formula One success, which is you got to screw up sometimes to learn how to do it properly. Is there any immediate danger of, of Renault taking what, what should have been their kind of rightful place in fourth place, if you like, as the fourth works team they you can't you can't deny they are underachieving at this stage of the project as to where we thought they were going to do when they entered yeah i think i think they should be beating mclaren that's for sure but i also think that you know in the midfield there's a lot of illusionary uh from week to week things can change if you look at toro rosso they had a big score in monte carlo and suddenly, you know, Sauber, whatever it's called, 
uh, has dropped down a place because they didn't score anything. And yeah. everything's changing around all the time. You know, we don't know. But the thing is, there are five teams within 10 points of each other. So anyone can be fourth. It's just a matter of who does the best job. Renault should be fourth by the end of the season. We'll see if they are. But Renault should be fourth and McLaren should be fifth. Well, on, on the basis that Williams actually should be up there. You know, but they're not. So, and they're never going to be either, or at least not in the foreseeable future, anyway. And, and that was going to be my very last question. Not really about Williams, because I've kind of decided just to stop kicking them while they're down and just leave them alone and just just see what see what happens. We'll we'll pick them up when there's there's something to talk about. However, obviously, with my Cambridgeshire roots, uh, we're rooting for Cambridgeshire educated George Russell. That's right. Uh, the the county are claiming him as our as our Norfolk. I'm just wondering. He's obviously a talented lad. He did fantastically in F2. Is he being damaged by Williams's form at the back of the grid, or can he happily progress his F1 career quietly doing a good job at the back? Well, it's very simple. You have to beat your teammate. He slaughtered his teammate. Um, you have to try and move the team forward. The team is edging forward slightly, but nothing special. But I think George is doing a great job. So, you know, is his reputation suffering? No, it's not. Esteban Ocon sitting on the sidelines is probably suffering more than George is. So at least he's in it. Exactly. At least he's in it. And anyone half sensible, apart from the money question, would put Esteban Ocon in the second Williams seat. Thank you very much, Joe Saywood. If you're going to the Montreal Grand Prix, I can highly recommend going for an audience with Joe on the Friday night. Go and search for Joe Blogs F1 for details. Join us here in the shed at 9pm UK time. We're going to be jumping straight on the mic and doing our Canadian race review straight after the race. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Inside F1. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.